Well, thank you very much. What a, what a blessing. <laughs> I uh, was thinking when Mark started singing, I've known him a long time, and I just simply said to myself, he can really sing. I <laughs> uh, love the uh, quartet. Piano players doing well, and uh, all of them, thank you. What a privilege to be here. Uh, I, I look forward to simply saying thank you for allowing me to come, Pastor Hunt, because I uh, don't know that I've been with a hunt. Most hunts won't have me. <laughs> They're family. So it is, uh, it's a privilege to be here. I feel so blessed. I can only hope that I can contribute as much as I take away, because I love gospel music, number one, and I love to hear Herb Revis preach. He's one of my favorites. So thank you for the privilege to be here. Hey, I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Psalm 103. And uh, I hope you have your Bible. And if not, I hope you have an app on your phone. I want you to look at the scripture. And I just want to uh, show you some things in this passage. You know, a lot of times the Bible speaks to a particular issue but it doesn't specifically tell you what the issue is. And something's happening in Psalms 103. Um, it wouldn't be too far of a stretch to say that David's having his own pandemic, that uh, something's happening, and as a result, here's the overarching thought. He has become extremely sluggish in his worship. And most of us, in March of last year, probably know exactly where we were when we begin to hear about COVID-19. I happen to be in Homa, Louisiana, about as far down as you can get in Cajun country. And I did a men's conference on Friday night, Saturday morning, and then I was staying over to preach on Sunday and they had to close the church. So I got a flight back to Atlanta. And I, I had this idea that, shoot, a couple of weeks, this thing will be passed and we can get on with our life. And now here we are. And I've had the privilege ever since June, honestly, every week to crisscross America. I just have been preaching. God has opened doors and there have been areas where they've been open and then they may get closed later. So I've, I've done my share of traveling and preaching. And, and to be real honest, I'm so thrilled to be here, but by and large, uh, it's, it's real sluggish in a lot of places. Uh, it's done a number on the church of the Lord Jesus. Uh, David is older in this psalm, and when you get older, you reflect more. And he's reflecting. Matter of fact, this is referred to as a, uh, a prayer where he's actually talking to himself. He's, uh, it's a self-reflecting prayer. Matter of fact, his soul is so sluggish. Listen to the first verse. Uh, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless His holy name. He's uh, speaking to himself. I ought to be blessing Him. And listen to how verse number two reads. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not His benefits. It's like he needs to be reminded of all that God's done for him and to remind himself of God's faithfulness so he can get out of his sluggishness. It's almost like he's saying, I have no reason to be here as good as God's been and as faithful as God has been. And so he's crying out to God. It's been referred to as the hallelujah course of the Psalms. It's also referred to as an envelope psalm. 
It ends in the exact same words it begins. The last verse is, bless the Lord, O my soul. And so here the psalmist is having this, this talk to himself. And I, I just want to ask you, you don't have to answer, but do you ever talk to yourself? Uh, I've, I've oftentimes said, what under heaven were you thinking? And I normally said it just before my wife said, what under heaven were you thinking? Now, I'm going to preach through this passage, but if you've got a pencil, pen, lipstick, or mascara, I want you to note something and maybe make a note. So the question is, if I know Jesus, and say I make a big deal out of it. For instance, here's what I believe. I believe that the night I gave my life to Jesus, that I made the single most significant decision of my life. I mean, I really do. It literally changed the trajectory of my life. I've never preached here. When I was seven years old, my father checked out and left my mom with six children. I was next to the youngest. And so with dad being gone, mom went to work in a factory in the daytime, came home, cooked dinner, walked about a mile and a half to White Front Grill and served as a waitress. With her being gone all the time, it gave a lot of liberty to um, teenage hoodlums. And so as a result, we stayed in and out of trouble. Dad only God knows how many times he was married. And then when I was 16, I dropped out of school. I had a fake ID. Back in those days, you didn't have a picture on your ID. So I started hanging out at a pool room even earlier and, and began to play a lot. And when I turned 16, they gave me a job. Well, there weren't many people there in the early hours, and so I would play six or seven hours a day. And so when I was 18, 19 years old, I was hustling pool. People ask me, they say, do you still play? Yes, I'm good. But the bottom line is, uh, they ask me if I gamble. I say, yeah, I do, but I give all my winnings to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And that's not true, just cutting up. But when I was 20 years old, God is my witness. My only passion in my life was, is to become a professional pool player. And somebody invited me to church. Just for the record's sake, 85% of the people that have ever been saved got saved because somebody invited them to come. And so I went to church, and I'd never owned a Bible. Nobody in my home was following Jesus, and uh, the Spirit of God got hold of me. And uh, I got convicted. I didn't use that word in my vocabulary. The Bible says when the Holy Spirit has come, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. And God did that in my life, and so on a snowy Sunday night, Wilmington, North Carolina, 20 years of age, I made the single most important decision of my life. God changed my life. And so I've, I've been serious about my walk, and uh, you're going to see in this passage, it has a lot to say about how we handle stuff that comes at us that we can't control. Most people that won't fly on an airplane won't fly because they can't be in control. So I'm grateful to God they don't because they don't need to be in control. But right now, one of the reasons so many people are struggling in this pandemic is you're not in control. But the truth is, you never have been, and thank God you never will be. And so in the passage, he begins to talk about what God does. So I want to just show you something, and then we'll take it and walk through it. In verse number 3, and he's, he's referring to the benefits. So here would be a question. If we make so much of Jesus... What, what is the benefit? I mean, you're always saying, boy, you've been saved, nothing's ever happened to you like that before. 
what, what is the benefit of being saved? Here it is, and, and then we'll talk about it. And verse 3 says he forgives all your iniquity. Verse 3 says he heals all your diseases. Verse 4, he said he re redeems your life from destruction. Uh, verse 4 says he crowns you with loving kindness. And verse 5 says he satisfies your mouth with good things. So he just lists five. Matter of fact, one theologian said that David, when he was penning this, laid down his sacred pen, raised his hand toward God, and counted off the five major benefits of what God had done as a result of changing his life. Uh, this text really begins in adoration. He says we need to, to bless the Lord. The word bless in the Hebrew is the exact same word for the word praise. So what he's doing is just what the singers did tonight, praising the Lord. And he's blessing him because of his benefits. There's a song, and, and a lot of songs, you still like them, but if you really press them, they're just not sound theologically. When somebody says, Lord, we just want to praise you. We want to praise you not for all the things you've done, but for who you are. You wouldn't know who he was if it weren't for what he's done. I feel better now. Get that. Off. But that's, that's why we do praise him. It's like when someone says, I'm grateful. God saved me. He's forgiven me my sins, and I've forgotten them. There's a Greek word for that. Hogwash. You did not forget them. God does not give you the capacity to forget them. And if you could forget them, you would never enjoy singing Amazing Grace because what would be so amazing when you can't even remember what it did for you? So he's full of adoration, and it's all predicated on what God has done for him. But the key word, and I'm just going to give you five words, and I'll be through. The first word is foundation. And the reason I say foundation when it said he forgives you of all your sin, forgiveness is the foundation for fellowship. Now, forgives us of all our iniquity. Three words are used in the Psalms to refer to what we need to be forgiven of. We need to be forgiven of our sin because we've missed the mark. We need to be forgiven of our transgressions because we've overstepped the law. And we need to be forgiven of our iniquity because it refers to what we are. It's something that's twisted and distorted. That's why when a lost person like myself would go in and hear Bible preaching, I'd never owned a Bible. When somebody would preach the gospel, I would take issue with it in my heart because I was twisted and distorted. Somebody says, I just don't see it. Until the Holy Spirit comes and raises the blinds, you never will. See, and it takes the pressure off the preacher. It is not my duty to convince somebody. It's my duty to be convinced of the gospel. So he forgives us. The word forgiveness, this is interesting, is used only in Scripture of God's forgiveness of sinners. I'm going to say, well, that's pretty simple. No, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. Not far from here, Iris and Dwayne Blue live. Maybe you know the name. Uh, they were at Woodstock for many years before I left last December. I've known them for over 30 years. When she was a member of the church, she made a request of me like I've never had made in my 43 years of pastoring. 
She said, the governor, Sonny Perdue, had been a member at Woodstock for eight years and taught a couple's Bible study class. She said, Pastor Johnny, he's getting ready to leave office. Would you write a letter requesting that I get a pardon? I've never been involved in anything. I thought, well, sure. So I called the governor and said, and he told me what to do. And, but he said, we, we've got a problem. We're on a time restraint. I'm almost through, and it has to be settled before I get out. So I said, okay. And he said, but there's just one major principle that we've got to get straight or she can get no pardon. And I said, what is that? He said, in order to re receive a pardon from a state, you must acknowledge your guilt. That's the same thing in the Bible. You can't experience God's forgiveness until you acknowledge that you're a sinner. So when the Bible says that God forgives, theologians say, mindful of this, the only time forgiveness is used is forgiveness of sinners. Only sinners can be forgiven. I like it when um, you're sharing the gospel every now and then. If you like to share the Roman road, you'll say all of sin comes short of the glory of God. You do realize you're a sinner, don't you? And I just love it when somebody says, well, well I'm not that bad. I was pastoring the Falls Baptist Church in Wake Forest, North Carolina, closest church west of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary in its days of theological liberalism. I was a student there. And I remember one day I preached and there were some women waiting for me after the service at the back door. And they said, we have an issue we'd like to address with you. Said, okay, and they said, you preach like you think we're bad. And, you know, I, and they're, they're just waiting on a response. And I said this, I just made this statement. All I know is this. The only way God could keep any of you ladies out of hell is to kill his son. He forgives us of our iniquity. Here's another true, wonderful gospel statement. Forgiveness in both the Old and New Testament has the idea of to take away and put somewhere else. Now, he clarifies this in verse 10 of this passage. It says, For God has not dealt with us according to our sin, nor has God punished us according to our iniquity. Well, if God's not dealt with me and God's not punished me, God, his number one characteristic is holiness. God ceases to be holy if he doesn't judge sin and doesn't punish sin. But he did. But instead of punishing me, he punished Jesus. And so what he did, he took it away and he put it somewhere else. He nailed my sin to the cross. So the psalmist is getting hold of the benefits of what God has done. Herb, I don't know if you like to do this, but I find myself desirous to quote the men who influenced us the most once they die in particular. I mean, I really do. I mean, it's just, um, I've, I've had the privilege of knowing some really great men of God that are with the Lord now. Uh, many times I had the privilege 
to preach uh, with Warren Wiersbe. I doubt there's a Southern Baptist preacher in America that doesn't have some volumes of the, of the B-series of Warren W. Wiersbe. Uh, when I was in college, I, I, I started pastoring three years after I got saved. Now, let that sink in. I got saved out of the pool room, got a Bible the next morning, and in three years, I was a pastor. So he said, how'd you do it? Well, I preached Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and, and was taking 19 hours at school and had two babies and a wife. I had Warren Wiersbe's books. Somebody said, that's plagiarism. No, it's not. It's survival. You can go ahead and write that down. It's original. You can quote it Sunday. When somebody says, that's plagiarism. I do sermonizing books. And people say, can I use it? <laughs> Why would you buy it? There's a second word. It's the word restoration. The Bible says he heals all your diseases. Now, you know this is theologically true. The believer's body will not be completely delivered from weakness and disease until it's redeemed and glorified at the return of the Lord Jesus. That's why I struggled with cancer 10 years ago. God allows that to happen. My wife struggled. My wife's strong. God is my witness. She's a prophet, if you understand motivational gifts. And she's just strong. She's fearless. But when she was there the day when they acknowledged my cancer and I called God as my witness, she fell out of the seat. On the way home, she was quiet, and I, and, and I just said to her, I, I, I was pretty sure from all the tests that had run that I was positive uh, with cancer. And she said, it's not fair. And I'd never say this. I really never have. And she, I said, what do you mean? She said, uh, I've lived with you, and now with 50 years, and then that was 40. She said, I've never seen anybody. Go as much as you go. Give as much as you give. And, and what she did is, this isn't fair. <laughs> it's not about being fair, I said, let's think of it from another perspective. I said, who's more prepared to get cancer? She said, what do you mean by that? And I'll be honest, this is what I told her. I was trying to break the ice. I said, I'm so saved it's pitiful. I mean, really, I mean, somebody can be lost without God, and boy, they ought to be. Matter of fact, the number one fear in America right now, research it, is people dealing with the fear of their mortality. Uh, that's why the church uh, must be essential during this particular time. I, somebody put a two-minute clip of me preaching out there, and y'all were catching me out in the lobby. Pastor said, preach it. I said, just the two minutes? I said, oh, what, you want a two-minute sermon tonight? He said, no, just preach it. But it's just a simple statement that uh, God put in my heart the other day. And I said it in the church where my membership is and where I pastored for 33 years. If being a Christian is not essential... Uh, drop me from the church roll. And if being a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ is not essential, I surrender my ordination. But it's essential. Somebody says, well, we got to be careful. Well, be careful. And I'm grateful we can celebrate every doctor and every nurse, and we should. But the last time I read my Bible, it's called the Good Samaritan. And we ought to be Good Samaritan Christians. And by the way, if there was ever a need for hope, because hope changes everything. It's now. And nobody has been ordained of heaven to dispense hope like the hope of the gospel. 
heals them of all their diseases. I was reading, you can make a note in Luke 6, 17 through 19, Jesus is ministering in the headquarters of Capernaum and those surrounding villages. And the Bible says that he's healing people of their diseases. And it says, and many were tormented with unclean spirits and they were healed. And it says the whole multitude sought to touch him for power went out from him and he healed them. And I just wanted to go a little deeper. I wanted to understand what does the Bible refer to as the diseases that Jesus heals even in David's life. And let me just give you a quick list. Uh, guilt. I did a uh, men's conference. Uh, it was like I've been doing men's conference for 29 years in our church, and it just it grew. Some maybe you've been, but anyway, it's a lot of men come to our men's conference. And I did one called Prison Break. And we all we have a team that sets the platform up to uh, resemble the title. And I remember we had a gate there, just like in a prison, barbed wire fence, and. And it just hit me that uh, Jesus one day set me free. I mean, the prison door swung open, but look at me. A lot of people come out, and they're still dragging the ball and chain. They've been set free of the grip of sin, but they're still struggling with the guilt of sin. And see, here's the problem. If you don't have a proper view of God, you'll never have, this is good, a proper view of yourself. Let me, let me illustrate. The prodigal son. The prodigal son's in the far country. And by the way, you never see clearly from the far country. Uh, because see, in order to be able to have wisdom from heaven, James 3.17, it must first be pure, then all the other characteristics. But if it's not pure, and so somebody says, man, what was that man thinking? He should have known he was going to get caught. That was stupid. No, that's sinful. And when it's sinful, it's without wisdom. So the prodigal's down there and he gets to thinking. And by the way, the Greek text says that he came to himself, literally means that he began to think. And he said, you know, at my father's house, uh, the, the slaves have got it better than I do. I, I'm going to go home and I'm going to tell my father, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Listen to this. I'm not worthy to be your son. Parenthetically, that's not your call. Uh, make me as one of your hired servants. And so he rehearses and he goes up there and he begins to tell the father. Father doesn't respond, he just starts giving commands. Kill the calf! Uh, bring the robe! Uh, put the ring on his finger, which is a sign of sonship. Uh, Jesus doesn't teach treat his children like hired servants. So, so when you begin to put yourself down, not only do you have an improper view of yourself, you have an improper view of God. And so it's a disease of guilt. And, and, and by the way, let me give you another one. Fear is the disease of the soul. We all know this, so let's just say it in COVID-19. Uh, fear and faith cannot coexist any more than light and darkness. I was in uh, Gatlinburg last week uh, doing Winter Extreme. And uh, it, it was a big time. We saw several hundred teenagers give their life to Jesus. I got up early one morning and my wife and I uh, were sharing a room with my 19-year-old special needs cerebral palsy granddaughter. So I was, I'd still get up early in the morning to get along with the Lord, but I just had to be quiet and get in a corner. 
got in the shower about 6 o'clock. Doors closed, curtains pulled. In Gatlinburg, the entire city goes dark. You ever heard this statement? It was so dark you couldn't see your hand in front of you. I don't know why, but that went through my mind, so I did it. God is my call. The Spirit of God is my Could not see my hand. It was, I mean, and then a little light came on. I said, praise the Lord. Evidently, emergency lighting. No, it wasn't emergency lighting. It was uh, my phone. Somebody had sent me a text and just that, and it was on half, half uh, light. It, and it lit the whole room up. And honest to God, first thing came to my mind is, this world's that dark. And look... Look what a difference just a little bit of light made. Uh, but but we're, we're so full of fear. But it's amazing, those that are fearful of the church are going everywhere else. You, you, couldn't, walk, you couldn't walk down the street in Gatlinburg. It said stay apart six feet. They got confused in Tennessee. They thought it meant six inches. It's just everywhere. Doubt. Uh, not trusting. Depression. Um, I don't want to go there. I wrote a message to become one of the most requested sermons and there's hope for depression. Anger, lust, hate, jealousy. Greed is the disease of the soul. So when somebody sets out there every week, Pastor, and steals when the offering plates comes by, that's the disease of their soul. And that's why God needs to touch them in the deepest part. That's, maybe that's why he said, where are you? Treasure is. There where your, your heart will be there. Well, let me give you the third word, and I'll try to wrap it up in a moment. This word redemption. This is my favorite piece. It says, who redeems your life from destruction. So let me, let me find that. It means you've been rescued. It refers also to the consequences of God's healing. Um, he re, here's, here's, here's the translation. I love it. He redeems your life from going to waste. Um, God did not just save me from my sins. God saved me from myself. A mom will say, would you pray for my son? He, he's really on the road to destruction. If he don't turn around, he's going to ruin his life. That's where King Jesus steps in and saves your life from going to waste. I am. Uh, it means that I, uh, he not only redeemed my soul from hell, he redeemed my life from destruction. Um, where would you be today had it not been for Jesus? Uh, I, I was arrested for stealing uh, before I got saved. <laughs> I, I was arrested for drunkenness. Arrested. And I was arrested for fighting. And as some of you men are saying, fighting, you're not that big. I'm not big, but I'm wound tight. Um, but I've often wondered, um, th this may sound hard to believe, um, but I told you I was playing pool and wanted to be a professional pool player. And I played second string players. You may say, what do you mean? I mean, I weren't playing with the absolute top, but I was playing with the ones just below them. And it was just a game that I mastered. I got a call the other night from the pool room in Wilmington, North Carolina, where I'm from. They said, hey, I thought we'd give you a call. They're talking about you in here. And I'm thinking, I've been removed from that environment 
for 48 years. I got saved on January the 7th, 1973. Do the math. And I said, well, why are they talking about me? And they said, well, they said, and here's the God is most. Larry Falk's getting ready to win the, the championship. I said, he is? I remember Larry. And guess what Larry just said? Hey, Freddie, glad your brother Johnny's not still playing. I wouldn't be winning tonight. He said, they still believe you'd be on top if you'd not got saved. But then I turned it around. Where would I be had I not got saved? I'd be, I mean, this is no, you know, no exaggeration, not trying to be melodramatic. I, I would be probably in jail if I was still living, but most likely I'd be in hell. I uh, have a cousin. He's my favorite cousin. I'll try to wrap it up with this. His name's James Ray, Oxendine. I'm a Native American, Lumbee, um, Cherokee background, Spaniards married, 1515, and small tribe, Eastern North Carolina, Pembroke State University. They're examining my life right now, talking to me. They think I may be the most famous Lumbee alive. Isn't that crazy? I just, I've never told anybody that. I just thought I'd tell you. And don't, don't be too impressed. There's just a few thousand of us. You know, it's not a lot of people. But James, James Ray stayed in the pool room. He's two years older than me. He stayed in the pool room. So I'm talking about so just a few years ago. So He stayed there 40 years beyond me. So I was preaching at Scotts Hill Baptist Church in Wilmington, so I called him and said, James Ray, I begged you hundreds of times. You have never been to hear me preach. I wish you'd come hear me preach tonight. I'm preaching at Scotts Hill. He said, cousin, I'm free. I'll be there. So he came. So let me tell you what I did. I did what you do. I text a bunch of people. James Ray's coming to hear me. He's never heard me. I've shared the gospel with him. Pray God save James Ray. Pray God save James Ray. Real tall, lanky, mean as a junkyard dog. He came. That night I preached the gospel, and I did what we preachers do sometimes, every head bowed, every eye closed. And I make a statement like this, I don't know your heart, I can't see your heart like God does, but I'd sure like to rejoice with you if you've been saved. If you've been saved, if you just raise your hand, I'd sure like to rejoice. I'm not going to come to you, not going to embarrass you, not going to point you out. Several people raised their hand that night. And then I looked out there, and James Ray had his hand. And I was just thinking, well, praise the Lord. And then I did this before I close. I said, I'm going to ask one last time, and, and then I'm through. Anyone else that got saved, would you acknowledge it by slipping your hand up? Well, look at me. Look, here's what he did. I'll never forget it as long as I live. And, and I, I, I acknowledged, you know, like I see it, James Ray. He wanted to make sure, because Saul, he was trusting Jesus. The next Sunday morning, he and Marilyn walked out of Northside Baptist Church. Kenny Chin's the pastor. Made his public profession of faith, got baptized, and got into Sunday school. Started living for Jesus. Let me ask you a question. How many of you know that even though you get saved, you still may have to deal with the consequences of your sin? Are you all with me? James Frey called me probably within a year, and I'd been discipling. Of all places for me to disciple, I discipled him through the book of Proverbs. And I remember he called me one day and said, hey, cuz, got some bad news. I need your prayers. I said, what's going on? James Ray said, I've got a cirrhosis of the liver. He said, it's bad. We visited a couple other times, but then time moved on, and 
he would, he would live about a year. But he called me one day and he said, hey, the doc said it's just going to be probably just days. He stayed cognitive right in. He said, uh, are you going to be in Wilmington? I said, I'm not scheduled. He said, well, I'd like to get my whole family together and you come and talk to us before I leave. And I want you to listen to this. You know, when you've been a preacher a long time, you've heard it all, but I'd never heard this. I went in his house, had my Bible with me, and he said, Johnny, um, I'm new. You've been helping me in my Bible, but there's so much of it I hadn't read yet. Can you kind of explain to me exactly what's going to happen at the end? And so I opened my Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and told him how his mortality was going to cease, but immortality was going to kick in. And, and I really, I shared really little humorous, but I really do believe it's true, and that is that he will take his last breath. Hospice was going to be there with him. And before they could call the mortician, before they could call the mortician, he would already be in the presence of Jesus. To be absent from God, present with the Lord. And I shared the gospel with his whole family. So long story short, James Ray died. So they asked me to do the funeral, so I went back, and, and I didn't expect what was going to happen that day. And I, I'm going to give you the other two points some other time, but listen to this. Um, Herb, it looked like a pool room reunion. All those people say, I've been gone. I, when God saved me in 73, I, I surrendered to preaching. In 76, I started pastoring in Gaffney, South Carolina, seven hours away, and then left there and went into seminary, and uh, then came back and pastored for a while. But, so basically, I'd been gone from Wilmington for 40 years, 40 years. So I, so I was standing down front, and everybody knew me. I'm here with the Bible. I'm dressed in a suit. I'm going to preached a funeral, and so they were coming down, lined up, come down. Hey, Johnny, Ronnie, and I'd look. You know, I mean, really, we've changed in 40 years, and we're not seeing each other, and, I, and I'd start trying to just zero in, like, Ronnie who? Ronnie who? Or someone would say this, do you remember me? And I didn't want to lie right before I preached, and, and so I would say this. I would honestly, here's what I'd say, help me. And they'd say, Ronnie Smith, and then I'd look, and I'd say, oh, my God, Ronnie, good Lord, what was it been, Ronnie? Another one, what's his name? Richard. What, what do I know about Richard Bennett? He was from Aberdeen. I nicknamed him Aberdeen. Named him after the city. They still call him Aberdeen 45 years later. So they just lined up. So, so let me tell you what I did after the funeral. I said, hey, uh, we're getting ready to go to Greenlawn Cemetery to bury my cousin. By the way, my mom's buried there. But uh, Pastor Kenny tells me he just opened a brand new seafood buffet next door to the church. I haven't seen y'all in so long, so many of you. Any of you that will come back from the cemetery, I'll, I'll buy your dinner. Forty. <laughs> Forty. Now, now, I want you to hear me for a moment. I shared the gospel early on, I believe with just about every one of them. When you first, this is good, when you first get saved, you've been in a hellion, you come out of all that gambling, stealing, cussing, you just a hoodlum out of a project. And, and you tell somebody, I got saved. They don't respond. But they're thinking, and, and I, I think I know what they're thinking. I got saved, they think. We'll see. Because if you got saved, are y'all listening? They will see. I'm telling you, when Jesus moves in, there's a difference in people see. They'll talk about you, the difference that God made. But so, so they didn't say, but now I've been saved 40 years. 
here's what I told my wife they're saying, why so many came. I believe he's serious. <laughs> He'd been following this Lord for 40 years. So, Pastor Johnny, was it a problem when the 40 showed up? Just one. Every one of them wanted to sit at my table. All of them wanted time with me. One of them's lost as a goose. I led him in a prayer before he died. His name's Steve Falk. Steve, while we're sitting there, he said something. I'm telling you, boys, while we're all together, we need to go to the housing authority next week because I was raised in a government project. And he said, they need to erect a monument in honor of this man. Say, why are you telling me that? I'd rather hear that from them than any deacon in the Southern Baptist Church in America. I want to know what the lost man thinks about a, uh, an old heathen that got saved. And by the way, I was in Wilmington preaching at Hampstead Baptist Church three weeks ago. Who sat with me on the front row? Richard Bennett, Aberdeen. God has gloriously saved him. Got his picture if you want to see him. Got his picture with him in my phone here. Just remind me of God's still in the life-changing business he saved him. Now, by the way, I don't know about you, but uh, this psalmist was sluggish. But he got to talking about the benefits of knowing God. And he said, man, I'll tell you, how can I be sluggish? He's forgiven me of all my sin. He took my sin and placed it somewhere else. He, he's forgiven me as a sinner. He's healed my soul. I, my soul had all these diseases, and he's touched my diseases. And, you know, he's redeemed my life from going to waste, from destruction. And when he said he crowns you, it's referring to uh, the fact that you're an heir of God, but a joint heir with Jesus Christ. It really means, this is what it really means. God's treating you like he treated Jesus. And get, that, get hold of that. It, and it really also means this, because he has, this is good, sin shall, shall no longer have dominion over you. You can reign in life through Jesus Christ. You can live above reproach. Um, you don't have to give in. Uh, Jesus gives you the power to say no. And then, I, I said I wasn't going to do it, but I want to do the last one. It says that he um, satisfies. Uh, and this is interesting. He said he satisfies your mouth. I want to make sure you see this. With good things, and listen to what he says, it's a promise. And he's, he's older now, remember he's an older man. So that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Now this is interesting. The word mouth translates old age or duration of years. So he, he's getting old and he's saying God can satisfy the needs of our lives and our spiritual desires even when we get old. What's happening in this passage? If you're ever going to understand Isaiah 40, 31, you've got to understand this. He's, he's likening an old man to experiencing a process that eagles go through. Eagles, as they get older, if there's a storm, if there would be a storm, electrical storm here tonight, and there's any eagles anywhere around, you know what we know about eagles? They fly into the storm, fix their wings, and allow the wind to carry them above the storm. Always build their nest on the highest peak. But when they're old, guess where you'll find them when they're old? In the valley. Normally they say near water. And if you'll watch them, and they have, they're molting. M-O-L-T-I-N-G. Molting. What is molting? 
They're losing their feathers, but God's given them new ones. They're growing new feathers. Here's what God's saying. Pastor Johnny, as you get older, uh, you may feel like you can't do what you did when you were younger, but if you'll hang in there and be faithful to me, I'll replace some of those feathers you're losing. And he said, no, I'm going to renew you like the eagle. Now it makes sense. Those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with the wings like eagles. Uh, they shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Favorite character in the Bible is Caleb. Joshua 14, the enemy's defeated. They're dillying out the land to the Israelites. God allows Joshua to look at Caleb and say, Caleb, what do you want? Caleb makes this statement. I'm 85 and I'm stronger today than when I started. That's what he said. And he'd been, in, he'd been out there for 45 years. And then they said, what do you want? Here's what he wanted. He wanted Hebron. Is there something significant about that? Very significant. Caleb wanted when he was finishing what he wanted when he started. And the reason people go wayward is they, they no longer want when they're finishing what they wanted when they started. And by the way, we'll be remembered by how we finish it.